Hey Smart Party fans, Ben here. A very rare content warning from us for this week's episode. There are some spicy conversations between myself and Gaz, and it has been pointed out to us uh, that actually for some people this may be a bit of a trigger. So fair warning, going into this we've got a bit of a conversation going on about what we believe to be unacceptable practices in role-playing games, and we want to make sure that you understand that at the outset. We're looking at unacceptable practices in our opinion. We're not looking at unacceptable people, nor specifically are we picking on any group of people, minority, majority or otherwise. As someone who lives with neurodiversity every day, uh, this does matter to me, and I certainly don't want to offend any people based on their own natural characteristics. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we have some issues with gaming and we want to talk about those practices and I hope that you take something from this podcast. As always, please do get in contact. Uh, DMs are open. You can find us on Twitter and Blue Sky very easily or wherever you get this pod from. Okay, hope you get something from this. See you on the other side. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome, or maybe welcome back, to What Would the Smart Party Do, the UK's premier RPG podcast. I'm Gas, one of your co-hosts, and with me, as usual, is my good friend Ben. How's it going down there? It's going super well. Here, uh, here we are again. Yes, virtually this time, but we have been together at a convention recently. It was good to go to Albert, <laughs> and we've been to various other things. I've been to Furnace, and there's been some German conventions, and all manner of stuff. So it's been good to meet face-to-face and meet some other people as well. Yeah, yeah, they've let me out. And um, yeah, it is, it's great to get out and do things and to have something in the calendar as well to look forward to. So lots of printing and laminating and prep to do for real-life gaming. It's quite it's quite the effort you've got to make, isn't it? It's like a full-time job sometimes. It is. I, I do like the lonely fun of prep, though. I know some people tear their hair out about it, but actually getting excited about going to run a game or something, it's, it's good. I enjoy it. Yeah. It scratches that crafting itch of the hobby. Yeah, That's the I like. a little bit. Gaming's best, but there's other <laughs> things you can do that aren't gaming in the meantime while well, you're waiting for your game to happen, aren't they? <laughs> it's right, yeah. Cool. Well, we, we should probably mention we've met a variety of people, and one of the things about going to all these different conventions and events and store games and stuff that we go to is you meet all kinds of players and people and approaches to the game and all the rest of it. So mm-hmm. that can be good. You can pick up new jamming techniques or notes the way a player uses their voice differently when they're in character or out of character or some kits that they brought, which makes things better. But also, sometimes there are some, what I would describe as suboptimal behaviours or things that are development opportunities for players, which I don't think come down to differences in style. There's just like some basic stuff that we need to get right, I think, when we play with other people. So brace yourself. Uh, now, if you are listening to our podcast, you are already one of the hobby elite. Of course you are. Um, only beaten by our glorious patrons, who are the elite of the elite, the gold top cream of the <laughs> absolute best. So what we're going to say today obviously does not apply to you, the conoscenti of the role-playing mm-hmm. hobby. The thing about being elites, <laughs> which we're not, <laughs> the thing about being elites is there has to be a whole bunch of commoners, and we've seen some commoner behaviour of late, and of late, I mean past 40 years. Yeah, so right. there's some stuff going on in gaming that just doesn't seem to shift. Mm. It's like some horrible blockage, which it's, Gaz and I, we've ranted about this to each other for decades now. It's not even a new thing, is it? But things don't seem to be improving. So we should probably cut to the chase and talk about some some stuff that we would consider to be unacceptable 
in gaming, even in 2023, still an issue. Mm. So we are like the rent kill removing the fatty blockage from the sewers of gaming. The fatberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a gelatinous cube that we need to cut down to size. So I guess the first thing to say, if you go into a, a game convention or even a session around your mate's house, and you can't be forgetful, and you can't be perfect necessarily, we've all forgotten things, but can you please, when you turn up for your game, at least try and bring dice. The right dice if you're not playing, but if you haven't got them, fair enough. Uh, some pens or a pencil uh, and paper or a writing device like an iPad or some other electronic writing pad or something like that just to write notes on all the rest of it. And actually take some notes and take note of which dice to roll and things like that. I mean, this is... I know a lot of you out there in this land are going thinking, but surely everybody does this. But I can tell you over the last few years, the number of times I turn up and there's multiple people around the table haven't got dice. Everybody wants to borrow a pen. No one's brought one. Like there's one person at the table might have brought some pens or pencils. Like, come on, guys. Let's let's get this bit right for starters, surely. I mean, treat yourself, right? So <laughs> I've been to... Uh, it was a little while ago now. It was a con sort of locally to me. And... Um, and we showed up, and uh, and I was we we're playing RuneQuest of all things. Rarely for me, but we we're playing RuneQuest, and because all the other guys around the table were die-hard RuneQuest players, and they had been playing it since the late seventies. So okay, fair enough. So out of the five people around the table, two of them, two of them were sharing a single D10. Oh God, madness! <laughs> so they opened up their little their little tin of dice, and some of these things were absolutely spherical over decades of use. How do you play RuneQuest with one D10? Treat yourself. Get another one. I mean, seriously, <laughs> every single roll goes, it took two rolls. Yeah. And that second roll, by the end of it, I wanted to jump out the window. It's like, please, for God's sake, especially when the first roll might come up a two. So it doesn't matter what your second roll is going to be. It's going to be a hit, mate. Because yeah. you've got 40% skill. <laughs> and then you've got to lend it to the person next to you. One D10 between two RuneQuest players. And God forbid they have a fight and like they have to like attack and parry each other. I mean that just seriously, <laughs> and it, uh, that happened. I mean just a nightmare, nightmare. I mean obviously if you show up to play like I don't know uh, FFG Star Wars and they've got funky dice with all kinds of weird icons on it, no problem. GM's going to provide right. There'll be a big pool of them in the middle of the table, or there should be. I always bring a load of D6 because it's shocking to me how many people don't have a D6 in their collection. Mm. But we're not asking for people to bring, you know, like lazy boy comforters and uh, and flasks of tea and, you know, and Kendall mint cake. You're not preparing for an expedition up Everest. You go into a gaming convention. Guess what you're going to need to have? Yep, that's right. You're going to need a pencil, probably. And even then you don't need that because you've got your app or whatever. But you, how do you show up to a game without dice? Seriously. I'm Barring like I've left all my dice in the hotel, totally acceptable reason. But if you're going to bring them, it's like, what's that? What's that odd-shaped rock you've got in there? Oh, that's my lucky D8 that Greg Stafford once looked at. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's there's a really, a really good argument that I, I always make, so clearly it's really good. But, like, have readable dice as well. Like, the number of times I'm sorry I'm terrible, so people, like, the owners have said dice, rolled up and then go, ooh, a lean-in, get the torch out on the phone. So it's like, if you can't read your dice from, like, a sitting position... Above the table, get ones with numbers on you can see. I mean, I, I don't know. People want to roll. Oh, I've got this amazing D10 that's actually got thirty sides or whatever. Like, just stop it. Just, just get some normal dice. They're easy to read. 
And I find it particularly weird at residential conventions where there'll be a little game store as well, or maybe several stalls that sell dice. Yeah. And it's like slot four or something. And they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't bring my dice. It's like, well, you've had a whole day to go to the shop and get some. And if you can afford to stop in this hotel and like, be up all night drinking gin like we were last night, you can definitely afford seven quid for a set of polyhedrals. Like, come on. Yes. Now, the, the, we will return to this subject probably in every little unacceptable thing that we want to talk about today. But if you are at a gaming convention, you are not the run-of-the-mill role player. You are not the casual gamer. You've paid decent money to be an adult, to go somewhere, wash yourself, get dressed in the morning, get accommodation, feed yourself. All of these things you've done to do a bit of the hobby that takes a great deal of effort. Going to conventions is not trivial. It's brilliant, but it's not trivial. I would say that would be the equivalent, let's pick another hobby. If you're a football fan, you'd be a season ticket holder, wouldn't you? And it's, it's, this is yeah. more than just someone who's an armchair fan. And it's like going to the away matches as well in Portsmouth when you're living exactly. in Aberdeen. Away. If you're going to be that person, then your inability to to carry a D20 with you is more telling than for the armchair fan. Okay, we've all run countless games for news where you supply everything, and that's absolutely fine. That's, that's run of the mill. But if you are more than a casual fan it's even more damning if you can't can't bring some dice to a convention to the game a game you signed up for in advance let's not forget <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> often a game you actually play on a regular basis and then oh guess can we segue we've talked about this offline can we segue from this into the old well if let's say you have been given a d20 for your for your game i don't know pendragon something like that something that uses a d20 there can't be many games that do but you know that's one of the ones that immediately comes to mind how many times is acceptable for someone to be told you roll a d20 to find out what happens like if it's more than two <laughs> i start getting twitchy yes there was you've you've set me up so I'm going to go off on it in a minute. <laughs> Firstly, well, the other thing I'm going to do, dear listeners, is try and inject some positivity and improve development opportunities along the way as we go. So for going to game conventions and stuff like that, can I recommend, highly encourage you to go to All Rolled Up and get one of their fantastic dice holder things. It's got little slots to put a little notepad in and some pens, and you can put all your dice in. And all you have to do every time you go to your game session with your friends or go to a convention or whatever it is, is pick up your little Rolled Up, All Rolled Up, put it in your bag, and you know you've got your dice and pens and everything there. So... There you go. There's an easy fix Jump for down. you. And it's helping a small local business as well. Yes, I played a game of Pendragon. I ran a game of Pendragon. I was at the quite frequently at conventions. So this particular event, I had to explain how to roll awareness five times to a table of five people. And I, I mm. couldn't quite... I thought it was like, this This will date me. But a Jeremy Beadle thing. Is it Harry Hill that does the kind of you've been framed type stuff nowadays? It, it, it almost got to the point where I thought, have you all decided just to see how far you can wind me up with this? Because it's, it's like roll awareness. It's on your skills. That's in the middle of your character sheet under skills. And it's the first one. They're in alphabetical order. And there were people like, what? Oh, I can't find it. It's under R for awareness. Like what? It's at the top of the sheet. I mean, what? I'm, I was aghast. I couldn't work out how they're all making that difficult. But that entire session was like that for everything. Roll gaming. Well, where's that? It's in the same list as awareness, but it's under G for gaming. It was like it was like I was talking to toddlers or something. I can't. Mm. Like honestly, mm. this I'm not making this up either. Some people will say I'm exaggerating or just going up on, but like this is literally what happened. Everything described in game rules, setting, stuff that was happening I had to repeat multiple times. Mm. So if you're a player, please try and pay attention. 
like active listening. It's, it's fun to have in character chat or out of character chat, and you can have your little bits and pieces. Does anybody want a pint? All that kind of stuff. It's fine. But if you can't get the basics right, if you're really struggling with the system, this is where your electronic device or your pen and paper will help you because you can write yourself little notes. So if you do struggle with systems, I know some people have difficulties. I know it's sometimes in a crowded hall, difficult to hear what's going on and stuff like that, but just make notes for yourself. Quite often, most people with the character sheets give them to you and say, write on them, do what you want with them. You know, bring a highlighter pen. If you can't find skills, you're struggling with it, highlight it and go, this is where my skills are, put a big arrow or write your own notes next to it or have a little separate crib sheet where you write down the important things to you. This is all solvable stuff. I shouldn't be, as a GM, having to, or anybody as a GM, having to repeat themselves up to five times with the same instruction. That's really, really simple. I understand if it's a complex system, if you're trying to work out how the hunger mechanics work in V5 for the first time, and there's different coloured dice and they've got symbols on them and you're not really sure what's happening, sure, that's going to take some goals. But roll a D20 against a skill, this should be basic. Yeah. Now, my D20 experience is very similar to that, but is in some ways even worse. Uh, so I've watched a lot of actual plays. In the D20 world, there's a lot of actual plays going on. And, and to be fair, a lot of actual plays don't really spend a lot of time with the mechanics. They're more interested in the, the flavour and the shopping and everything else. Cool. How many times do you think you have to roll a D20 in a game of D&D? &D? Quite a lot, I would suggest. Mm. How many times in D&D &D do you ever have to roll a D20 and just say what the number on the D20 is? Never. <laughs> Never. Because it's D20 plus something. So how many times in real life as a GM has someone said to me, reported in their role? So we, we need to work on reporting our roles. So <laughs> I rolled a D20 and the player goes, 13. And I go, oh, you've missed. And, I go, and then the player next one goes, oh, hang on a minute. You've got to add that, your strength or your dex or your skill or whatever it was. Ah, 15. Oh, that's a hit. So that's like a fairly major change of opinion there it's like it's gone from miss to hit which in dnd &D can be everything it can be life-saving it's a binary system for goodness sake it's either going to hit or miss what is it with rolling a d20 or any other dice and then just saying what's on the dice there's almost always going to be more to it than that or less to it than you're reporting so in blaze in the dark where you might be rolling a handful <laughs> handful if you're lucky maybe you're rolling <laughs> 4d6 okay and in that game, six is fantastic, a four or a five is okay, and a one, two, or a three is awful. Then why are people reporting in, I got a five, a three, a two, and... Oh, and there's a six over there. The answer is you rolled a six. So I buried the lead. <laughs> you don't need to tell me every single dice. Because <laughs> the ones, the twos, and the threes are functionally identical. In fact, I wish I could get some dice that just said F on it for fail. <laughs> Uh, what, what, what are you doing? What is this reading dice thing? I mean, and, and funnily enough, the Venn diagram includes people who didn't bring dice, so they don't know. So that maybe it's because it's someone else's dice, they can't read them anymore. Maybe. So, you know, in, in your scenario there, guys, where you've had to like repeatedly say, repeatedly, what I don't understand in, in any situation is why, why some players seem to have trained themselves into just telling you what the dice rolled, and then you have to say, plus... And then they come back to you with the second one. It's like, can't we just skip this? Because this is now 20 times we've done this. Mm. In D&D, &D, we roll that D20 all the time. All the time. And I've got five players. We must roll it 100 times a night. Yeah. So, and, and, and everyone else 
is not doing what you're doing over there, outlier person, who's just telling me what you rolled and you haven't told me whether it's good or bad or indifferent. And in other games where the player gets to tell you whether they've succeeded or not, don't tell me what all the dice say one by one. Tell me whether you succeeded or failed. I can't I can't hold all of that in my head. Nobody can. We want to know whether it worked or not. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it in everything. It's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of games. Like one that springs to mind is um, it's called Cthulhu. And people will say, like, I've rolled a 37. Like, okay. I don't know what your skill is, so I, don't, I have no idea. Like, can you help me out? Uh, and then the the other one, one of the reasons I like the luck mechanic in the new edition of Call of Cthulhu is you can spend luck to change the outcome of a roll. Because uh, the old refrain I've had for like literally decades is people going, oh, I missed by one. So I, you missed then. Missing by one and missing by 20 or 30 is all the same. You've just missed. It's not. I know mentally it's easy to think like, oh, I almost made it, but you didn't because both the numbers on the dice are wrong. So you, you, you missed, so that's all there is to it. So spend the luck, uh, obvious that, but spend the luck then. Or, you know, that it's that pause of, oh, I missed, or oh, I've rolled this, and then people like a bit upset about it. And no one likes to fail the rolls. You want to succeed all the time, but just move on. And what you can do, again, positivity t- tips sneaking in, is just narrate your own failure as well. If you've just missed, or I say, like, oh, I've, you know, I almost hit. The bayaki in the back with my my hole that I pulled out of the garden shed, but it just moves at the last minute, or it's you know it's, it phases out of your cleaning space, and I can't, I can't I'll just miss it. There you are. You tell the GM that you've missed. You've given the other players a bit of information. Everybody's happy. We can move on. Like these long pauses and thinking about it, and sulking because you missed by one, and pausing is just making the game last longer, filled with vacuums of space and nothing happening. So let's try and work at giving the right information back so that everybody around the table knows what's happening. And do it in a positive manner by adding some narration to what you're doing, and that will make the game flow better and be more interesting for everybody around the table. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a bit of a skill to communication, and I, and I think it's probably going to sit underneath a lot of the stuff we're talking about today. But if you don't add in the stuff that you've just suggested there, guys, it's like listening to Alan Dedicote read out the balls in the lottery. You're just reading numbers to each other with mm. no context whatsoever. Nobody wants to do that, do they? Do they? Do they want to do that? Because after about two hours of continually doing it, you think to yourself, maybe you do like this. But all of my all of my body signals, <laughs> my body language should be telling you. And if it's not my body language, it's my actual words where I've said, please don't forget to add on the stat. <laughs> you would think that that would have an effect. Yeah. But no, in the face of these things, we're not talking about people who do this once or twice in, in any of these role-playing scenarios here. No. We're talking about this is... For decades, I've seen this happen with some of my close personal friends. People don't seem to be able to to pick up on direct instruction, let alone subtle clues, and don't seem to be able to change what appears to be really, really simple to do. Mm. And like, it can be something like people don't like coming up with stuff on the spot, but like responding to instructions should be straightforward. Make your own notes, and the same applies for descriptions. So if you if you know you're entering into a game of RuneQuest, for example, there might be times when you've you've missed. So you could just in the week between the game or however long it is, you can write down some examples of what might happen that is a miss, but perhaps doesn't look make you look ridiculous, but sounds just bad fortune happened or whatever it might be. And for successes and for criticals and all the other you know results you might get from your dice rolls. But there's time you can spend in between games or in between conventions or whatever it is. To make yourselves a little less, if you struggle to come up with stuff, you know, on the spur of the moment, like make yourself a little crib sheet again. And this is you can tuck it in your roll rolled up or whatever else, and then that'll give you stuff to say if you can't think of something in the moment in the game. 
Well, this is uh, this is the one that baffles me, mate. So brace yourselves. So, right. What on, right, have a word with yourselves. If you're listening to this, as I say, you are a very fine person indeed. And if you're a patron, oh, you're a glorious member of humanity. You really are. Well, we're not talking to you guys. We're having a rant about those people. You know those people. Those people who've decided to pick up role-playing games as a hobby. Well, let's get back, let's get back to the absolute foundational stuff of this. Right? This is a hobby that you need to put some time and effort into, like any hobby. It's not just a pastime. It's a hobby. You have to put something in to get something out. So given the amount of hobbies that are available to us in the 21st century, role-playing games have that little unique slot of using creativity, imagination, social skills, all the stuff that we bang on to non-gamers about the benefits of role-playing. It's all absolutely true. But you have a choice. Everybody has a choice as to what they do with their free time these days. So if you weren't being into role-playing games, you could be into anything. You could be into knitting or making your own beer or, or following a sport. Whatever it is you want to do, you, you can do all of those things. And God bless you. Happy trails. Why on earth would you pick role-playing games if you are the kind of person that doesn't like to speak to other people about what your character is doing? What on earth are you doing in this hobby? This is not the hobby for you. And that's going to have people raising a few eyebrows. Because I think you should be sacked from the hobby for your own good. <laughs> this is not the hobby for you. And and for years and years and years, I've tried to put my arm around these people and say, oh, don't worry. Look, let's let's let's, let's give you another another situation where you maybe do feel more comfortable or offer mentorship or guidance or point them in the direction of a web article or, you know, encourage them. To... It's not happening. It's not happening because this is not your hobby. You don't like talking about what you do. You don't like speaking. You don't like communicating with other people around the table. It makes you nervous when the GM says, what do you do? So nervous that you clam up. Please go and get another hobby. It's fine. We will miss you. And you're welcome back anytime you want to. But don't just clog up my table with your null space around you where, where stuff goes in and nothing comes back out. Mm. Ever. And again, at gaming conventions... Are you crazy? Why are you inflicting this on yourself? Why are you spending time and money on going to places where you are clearly uncomfortable? It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to anyone else around the table. So I want to be your best honest friend here and tell you this is not the hobby for you. Leave it. Go away. Do something different. It will be tough, but we need to break up. It's not you. It's us. But you need to go and do something else. Please, for everyone's sanity, until you can learn... Oh, until you can actually enjoy the process of someone putting you in a situation and saying, what do you do? If that doesn't fill you with terror, then you're very, very welcome. But honestly, the look on people's faces sometimes, the cold sweat that dribbles down their head, as you say, like, you know, some goblins burst out of a doorway, what do you do? This isn't even the complicated stuff. Oh, my goodness me. The reactions, sometimes it would appear as if I'd said something very different indeed. Mm. And I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. We've all done stuff before we've had to say, I hit it with my axe. I have no complaint about that whatsoever. We're not expecting, you know, um, James Joyce levels of erudition in our games. We are absolutely not expecting any of that. And it's perfectly okay to play certainly games like D&D in a very tactical way where if you can't have a conversation, you can say, my bard tries to intimidate them. That would be okay. 
but to get uh 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 oh, I don't know. Oh, come back to me. Uh, oh, I just like to watch. Oh, please. Sorry, mate. It, you you shouldn't be here. It's not for you. And you've maybe never heard that before because all of the other podcasts in the world are being very encouraging, and we've done it too. And we've tried to keep you guys on board. It's not for you. Do something else. See you later. Bold words. I feel, I must add for this, of course, I'm not a clarity. <laughs> we don't, of course, I mean, if you have uh, some kind of special needs, learning difficulties, anything like that at all, and you, like, we will make, everybody will make, if they're a reasonable convention, a reasonable place, reasonable adjustments. That's, you know, we'll accommodate people. If you've got some kind of uh, issue or there's, there's some kind of anxiety, whatever it is that you might be, if you can talk through that, obviously, we're not trying to exclude anybody. No, very. everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. But at a certain point, after years or even hours in a convention game, if it's making you uncomfortable, then you deserve to not be putting yourself in that position. Yes. If everyone else is trying to make you comfortable and you're still uncomfortable, stop. If it's not fun, don't do it, is a, a phrase you often use with me when I've mind about something I was doing. <laughs> a club I was engaged with, or something else, but it's, it's true words. Sure, but is it, but you know, the, people do. People are very loyal, and and, and gamers are, are, are fantastic people. They're very loyal to a thing. They're very loyal to a bad idea. There's a the sunk cost fallacy. There's all of that kind of stuff. There's a feeling you might be letting other people down, especially if you're part of a dynamic group, etc., 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 etc. But there does you have to do a little stock take of your own individual life. And you know what? There are people who are big fans of role-playing games, but you can't tell that from their actions. Mm. You you just can't tell from the way that they play games or or participate in them. And it's usually because of non-participatory activity, like not speaking at all in a convention game, being asleep, various things. I mean, people will think I'm being extreme for sacking people from the hobby, but I'm not talking about that time when you're just not quite sure what to do when Cthulhu rises and you, you are a little bit lost for words. That happens to everyone. That's fine. That's part of the game. I'm talking about behaviour over weeks, months and years of non-participatory behaviour. Mm-hmm. Just ref- just not saying anything for hours at all. What, I, don't, I, don't, I, I simply... Why are you in the hobby? Role-playing games rely on a conversation. Role-playing games are a conversation. If you don't want to or are unable to have conversations with people for whatever reason that is, bon chance, mon friend, but this ain't a hobby for you. Mm. Pick a hobby where you don't have to do that. And, and they're all valid. There's a massive communities for people who like to read books, watch films, knit. Doesn't matter. This is not the hobby. And, and, it, and it would be okay, except that the hobby is a social one. It has to be. It's a social one. And if you are that person that is not contributing, then you are damaging the fun that everyone else is trying to have at the table. I'm sorry to tell you that, but you are damaging it because everybody needs to, everyone has a responsibility for that social play. And if you are t- if you are taking up a seat and not doing anything with it, that's hurt, that's painful for everyone else. That's not the worst sort of person you get at the table though, is it? No. So <laughs> at least, you know, you can even... If that is you, and you still think you're part of the hobby, and that's fine. We're, not, we're trying to give you advice here. If you still get plenty out of it and stuff like that, we're not going to tell you what to do, to be honest. We're just offering you an option. If you still want to turn up, even as a couple of people who don't say anything on session, 
the session can normally still trundle along as long as everybody else is contributing. So there's there's an element of that. People who detract from sessions, though, if you're constantly on your mobile phone, if you're talking over the GM when they're trying to explain rules or what the situation is, if you nod off frequently uh, without having narcolepsy, it's just because you've drunk too much last night or whatever it might be, and you keep waking up and then insist that everybody recants what's just happened again for you because you've missed it because you were asleep. I mean, I'm not making these up. These are all like multiple instances of these sort of behaviours that I see at the table. And I appreciate that the sort of people who do this aren't going to be arsed listening to our podcast. So it depends on you, dear listeners and glorious patrons, to send it to them. <laughs> if you know people like this who detract from games, please let them know. Let them know the pain of other players who are trying hard. Because as Ben's mentioned, this is a social hobby and it requires upon a social contract and that everybody's going to contribute and that we're all aiming towards the same goal. So if you're have people who are pulling away from that the whole house of cards starts to tumble or shake mm-hmm. at least and it requires other people to put more cards in and hold it up and that's unfair on other people around the table if you have to do that and again to caveat i ran a game at a convention recently there was someone who had a couple of conditions and they said to me i've got to look at my phone quite frequently because that's how i get my stimulus and if i don't i'll lose track and i won't be paying attention to the game so it looks like i'm not paying attention but i am if i use my phone it's just a, a device i need to use absolutely no problem at all that's fine we're not talking about that sort of person everyone's got their own needs and we can make reasonable adjustments as necessary and it, it happened it was a perfectly fine game and the player barely used the phone because they were so engaged with what was happening around the table and that's because everybody at the table was actively contributing all the time there was inter-character chat there was other things there was ideas being thrown around there's questions of the gm there's planning there was leaps to action when there was the opportunity so it just goes to show that if, if the game works, if everybody's contributing, everybody's coming up with stuff, and again, it doesn't have to be James Joyce. It can be just do something, you know, act quickly. As it says in the, I think it's the Blade of the Arbacore, or even Delta Green has a thing saying, take an action and do it quickly. That will make the game run better for everyone. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at this point, we're not talking about the quality of your decision-making and the quality of your description. That's something that we can all develop over time and become masters of eventually we're just talking about whether you contribute at all and complete silence for a four-hour con is it's unacceptable isn't it yeah it's not right it's not right barring ill health it's not right and i don't and again if you are that person at a gaming convention time and money why invest it somewhere else yeah and i think it's probably just worth saying that you know, some players, I call them players, contributors, they're not that either, attendees, like to turn <laughs> up and listen to the story and are perfectly yeah. happy to sit around the table just to listen to what's going on. But at that point, you might as well be watching Critical Role or something, I mean, which is a slightly different hobby and a perfectly valid one. But if, if you're at the table, I think you just got to have a bit of consciousness that your contribution will matter. And if you're not contributing or you're detracting, then is it the best place for you? Yeah. Yeah, because we're... These are extreme views. You might think they're extreme views, but they're they're happening so often that it has to be called out. And this isn't about best practice at this point. I think we'll move on to some stuff that is best practice and some suggestions and guidance for how to make things better. But everything that we've discussed so far is people just opting out of the game. Mm. You know, not bringing the kit, not having anything to say, not listening to anything the GM says. If when I put it like that. <laughs> these these are terrible just, people. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> Get out. Because <laughs> there's plenty of other people 
who will do those things. And we, we have the luxury, certainly with the online space that we have now, of there's, there's too many games there's, and there's not enough time left to play them in my lifetime. I simply, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it anymore. I've spent 40 years putting my arm around people and trying to coax them to say something out loud. No, no more. Not bothered. Don't care if that makes me elitist. I'm wondering if part of this is kind of learned behaviours as well. I think I think a lot of people have kind of like got into a pattern of play. Maybe if you play with the same group or the same sort of people all the mm. time, you've kind of like got in your head. That's what role playing is like. The things you do at the table, which you might think are fine and or curious, why other people might have a an issue with it. It's just because you've got into a, a pattern of play, which to you encapsulates role playing. I'd, I'd suggest trying different types of game with different people. That's why I keep going to all these different conventions and internationally playing all kinds of stuff is to kind of get that those different flavors and and create a melting pot but uh, my friend bez who's um over the way now he's moved away from my hometown but in his new place he's, he's started going to the local like game cafe type thing or a board game club and he's running dnd for new people and they're all like you know at most half his age and some a bit <laughs> younger than that and there's a couple that have the special needs like we've discussed and they're all the thing he likes is that they're all engaged and they all take. They all want to take part. Like there's nobody sat on the table with nothing to say. They might do some daft stuff. There's, he's got like a Leroy Jenkins kind of player who just wants to run and attack everybody, even when it's like, hang on, that's the old guy in the in the pub who's going to give us the mission. Don't hit him yet. Like at least let us find out where the mission is first. And they run other challenges, but they turn up. They've all got the special dice. Some of them got a little holder to put the d20 on it when they're not rolling it. So a couple might have tiefling gears and or horns and all that kind of stuff. But they're excited, they want to know what happens, they contribute, they support the GM. So those sort of things need to come for, certainly it tends to be older players because you've been around longer and there's a certain style of player that starts when DD first came out that stuck with some people. But try and help, try and contribute. You should be trying to lift the GM up. Don't go there with, I don't know, there's still like a combative or a kind of argumentative approach sometimes some players seem to have or making sure that they get the full bonuses or get snippy about rules or things like that. View it more as you're at a wedding and there's a best man speech and the GM's the best man. So he's kind of got control of the room and going to be telling you broadly what's happening. But you want them to succeed. And he wants you to have a good time. Like this isn't... Like, I feel like we need to reset it with some people. Some people seem to have forgotten this or seem to view it as an adversarial relationship still or you know, just concerned about their own characters. Like there's other people in the room while you're listening to the speech as well. You can't just talk over the people or shout out and heckle all the time certain behaviors like try and lift the gm up as well as other players but i'm going back to basics by saying help the gm because really i've seen it at many conventions where people just seem to like turn up surly like this isn't the game i wanted but it's the only one i could get even if that's true don't say it out loud mm -hmm. someone spent a lot of time prepping that game and got a hotel and travel and gone there and is giving up their weekend to run a game for you they don't need to know that you're sulky about the game that you're in, that you're sitting down to, because they're nervous or anxious, possibly. Or they want people to have a good time. They're hoping everybody has a good time. And they know that as soon as one person is starting to pick at the threads, everything could unravel. So don't do it. Turn up with a positive attitude to your games if you're going to turn up. Or don't turn up. If you're not in the mood, it's not the game you want to play, go and read a book, watch a film, have a nice meal, do something else. But don't be turning up with a bad attitude. That's just unacceptable. No, it is. And... um. And it can come across in so many different ways. You can seriously tell, everyone can tell if someone's being passive aggressive. Certainly as a player, as a GM, it's absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you rock up as a player and you're passive aggressive about stuff for whatever reason it is, 
Oh man, right. We need to we need to get rid of this this trope of like uh, being an evil GM or uh, I'm going to do stuff just to annoy other folk, which I see time and time and time again. It's it's schoolyard behaviour. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't behoove us as adults playing social hobby stuff. It just doesn't at all. Right, the whole evil GM thing is from the 80s, for goodness sake. We're in 21st century now. That idea of like pulling the wool over people's eyes or doing gotchas or traps things or, you know, just doing stuff to characters because you haven't got the social skills to do it with the player, mm-hmm. you know? To, to That's just, it's just wrong on so many levels. And then from passive aggression for players who, for whatever reason, just don't want to buy into the premise of a game, a game that they have signed up for if it's a convention, it's advertised as such, and they don't want to buy into the premise of it, and they think they're being all cool and edgelord by doing something counter to whatever Ebrox is doing. You're playing Rebels in a Star Wars game and you want to be like secretly a Dark Force user. Do you? Really? Okay. A sniper as well. <laughs> How's that going to work, you know, even in the short term, let alone the long term? Don't be that person. And then when they get all sulky about it, if you do call people out on this, and this is a massive issue, is that when you want to get something going in games and you, you're you know, you're brave enough to put your hand up and say, can we not, can we just, can I play an X card? Can we just talk about this as adults? Sometimes those people will move into actual sabotage of your game. They go away from passive aggression into just, well, aggression. They will do all kinds of behaviours which sometimes just fall into non-participatory shit, like uh, I'm going to go and sit in the spaceship with my arms folded while you guys go off on the mission. Yeah. And you reach out to that player and say, Look, I've got to be honest with you, this is a meta call here, but the adventure won't be happening on your ship. It's all planned for beyond that volcano. Mm-hmm. No, just sitting here, it's what my character would do. Okay, mm-hmm. so you just opted out of the game entirely. Or I'm going to take off and nuke the whole site from orbit. That's the only way to be sure. Okay, so you've just used a, a meme in lieu of personality. Well done. Um, but really, am I going to talk you out of this? So... Of of late, there's the, people have talked about X cards and stuff in the past, and we probably need to talk about it again because they're perfectly valid ways of helping the social contract go along. There's so many times I wanted to use a GM veto card just to put that slap down a card on the table and go, I would hardly ever use this. But sometimes the thing you've just suggested is so counter to the spirit of what we're all trying to build here that I just want you to reverse that decision. Normally, a player should have complete agency. They should be a player character should be able to say, "I do this, I do that. I open a mango import export business. You go for it. You do you." But sometimes, like you do what you piss on the prisoner and set fire to them. Is that what you're actually going with? No, absolutely not. Because that sort of sabotage decision making. Hey, at least they're not the player who's not got anything to say. Mm-hmm. But if the only thing you've got to say is just designed to destroy rather than create, again, have a word with yourself and go and join another hobby. Yeah, yeah. It's as I was saying about detractors. It's not just spending all your time on your mobile phone with the notifications. I'm not playing Zelda. It's doing things in game which you know are counter to the premise. I think kind of Robin had talked about this being the premise acceptor. Mm. Where you try, and, you try and give the players a mission and they all say, no, we're not doing that thing. So first things first, when you turn to a game and you know what the situation is, you've got to go and find the guy who's been kidnapped from your village. That's what you're going to do. If you turn up trying to be conscious to that, don't be a dick. 
Like, don't be a dick, she's quite a lot. And I think we've teased out some of it here. We're going to tease out more, probably, depending on the time allows. But being a dick is not joining in with the fun that you've signed up for in the first place. Or undermining other players' decisions. Oh, actually, I was going to build on your point. I'm going to bring up a separate <laughs> one now. Because something else has got my goat. Scar's being pulled left and right, I tell you this time. Grating your cheese. <laughs> Indeed. Weed on my chips. It's telling other players what to do as well. Ah! I've got a variety of examples of this. At a recent convention, uh, it came to my turn. I waited till last, let everybody else have their turn. And when it came to mine, another player not only grabbed which dice I should roll, spent some points for me to boost a roll and various other things and told me what to do. Now, because I'm robust, I had to say, how about you run your character and I run mine? How's that? And then I got the old bulldog licking we off a little face from the player and it all got a bit awkward for a little bit. But like, don't tell people what to do. Don't spend the points for them. Don't roll the dice for them. If someone's struggling, doesn't want to ask for help or suggestions, sure, help them out. But this player, I know, because I have I had friends who are in other games, did it in every game they're in. Try to um, tell everybody else what to do all the time, talk to other people. Don't be that person. Don't tell other people what to do. Lift people up. Don't push them down. Honestly. And these are the people who never have anything to say when it's their go. No, exactly. By the time it comes back down to, oh, I don't know. The other one, which I've had at other conventions, and I see it quite frequently, is players telling other players why their action won't work. Yeah. It's like, you're not the GM. And there's just, like, again, we have to keep going back to basics. There's a, there's a very basic understanding of role-playing that you try and do something, there'll be a set of mechanics, and we'll roll some variable, normally dice or cards or something, and we'll determine if that thing worked or didn't, or perhaps there's a mixed success or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. That is commonly understood. So if someone wants to break in somewhere, you can't tell them, well, we can't do that because, you know, the police might come or something. Well, we don't know. Let them roll the locksmith roll. See if they're getting fine or not, or they break the lockpicks, or there's a fumble and the police are watching or whatever it might be. Also, leave it up to the GM. You're not the arbiter. I've had several games with people, like a perfectly nice young lady, I come up with about half a dozen ways about how to get in this place to speak to this informant, which was where the rest of the plot was. And we all knew it. Premise acceptance again. Everything she said, which was all fine, you know, sneaking at the fire escape, breaking through the back door, pretending to police. She came up with like half a dozen ideas, every single one, these two lads shot her down on. And in the end, I had to step in and go, like, I don't need to be misogynist or what it is, but what's your idea? Oh, I don't know. If you haven't got any ideas, stop telling the people why they can't contribute. Above and beyond the basics that any of their ideas may or may not work, based on a dice roll, we play to find out. That's the whole point of this role-playing game is you come up with an idea, roll dice, see what happens. The story goes in two different directions depending on how that went. We move to the next dice roll in the event. Like, this should be basic stuff, but apparently it's not because I see it time and time again. If you're a player, don't be telling everybody else what to do. You can offer advice. You can suggest a different route, maybe. You can talk in character to each other about what you might do. But stop just weeing everybody else's chips and telling them what they can and can't do. And don't, for God's sake, be picking up their dice with them or spending their bennies or fake chips. Like, just stop it. It's not a one-off either, is it, guys? Otherwise, we wouldn't be mentioning it today. I see it time and time again, and it's getting quite irritating, actually. Now, the flip of this is that um, we've been probably quite generous with GMs. (laughs) So let's go to GMs. because we've not got players yet. We've still got a list. (laughs) (laughs) So as Gaz rightly says, role-playing is a conversation and a social contract. I can't believe you've had to go back through the basics of how role-playing games work, or clearly we do. Clearly we do. So as the player, you want to be able to say what happens. 
You want to have some agency. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to say, I do this without people being dicks about it. And it should absolutely, if at the end of the day, the players, no, I want to do that, then it's up to the GM to give you a consequence. What is it with GMs not giving out consequences to players' actions? What is it with playing in convention games often with a stranger who's a GM, and I thank them very much for setting up their game and allowing me to play in it. What is it where you find yourself saying, I do X, and, and, and let's make it real. Uh, I go to the basketball court. I go to the basketball court. How come I have to wait for an answer? It's like dealing with bloody Hermes delivery service. It can be three days before I get an answer to that, or it feels like it anyway. Because there's a, hmm, yeah, nodding. Show, yeah. And, no, and none of the other players are shouting me down either. It's not that situation. It's not the one you just described. It's different to that. So everyone's gone, yeah, agreement. Right, we're going to go to the basketball court. And the GM looks at you and then mutters something or says something or asks for a dice roll. But at some stage, you'd think they'd mention the result of your action. And it's astonishing how often you don't get a consequence. And the consequence doesn't have to be fatal or dangerous. The consequence could be you arrive at the basketball court. Next scene. But we just never get there sometimes. And then later on, it's just assumed we are there. It's just the, the conversation just seems to have stopped and gone sideways for a bit. And we're not talking about... But I, I, it's really difficult to describe because it's not like we're talking about um, and someone else chips in and now all of a sudden we're talking about the tennis court. It's not like that. It's just that... I have to convince the GM that that's what I want to do and keep reminding them. Yeah. Like, uh, excuse me, um, basketball court, any any updates on our movements? What's it look nope, like? Nope, nothing. Yeah. Who's that? And, uh, and stalled. It's like the engine's turned off in the game. And it's, and it's very often I pick that basketball court thing specifically because it's not a contentious request from the player. It's not like I want to, uh, I want to flash back to all kinds of crazy situations and i'm reaching here for something to do those ones seem to be easier for people to uh, adjudicate in in fairness but like, i go there or i talk to or i stab those kind of verbs just seem to throw people sometimes mm. and getting an answer is like getting blood out of a stone but if you don't get an answer you don't have your role-playing game anymore yeah because it's built on a conversation yeah i've had plenty of that i want to go to the basketball court yeah you do Okay, can I see anything there? Are there any people? Is there, What's next? Is, is that <laughs> that guy who thinks impersonating the Bale's ties there? Is it like, like, give me a clue? At least you got to the basketball. <laughs> That's something. Uh, I think a poster child for this was a game which we could spend an hour on in itself, but playing Werewolf in London. For, in the park. For the, there were many things. Where, like, we arrived in this park and we had to get out of it. It's like, okay, we'll just get out of the park and get a bus. Uh, how do you do that then? Follow a path. Oh, it's kind of misty. All right, well, I'm going to pick a direction. I'm going to eventually find a wall or a fence or a gate. I'm going to put my hand on it and I'm going to walk around in a semicircular fashion until I find an uh, exit. And eventually we're allowed out and it's like, then we get it. Well, we'll find a bus stop. How do you find one? Well, I presume it's a road, so we'll walk along it with people on it and we'll ask them where the bus stop is. Get the bus. Well, how do you pay? With the money. Like, what? This is like <laughs> fucking seriously. It was, it was like pixel bitch in the role-playing game. Absolutely everything. And then the pièce de résistance, apart from Pete having to explain the rules to the gem quite often, who had a, a sub-gem, who was supposed to be looking at the rules, we wanted to slip sideways and go to the Umbra, which is like a spirit world or the upside down from uh, Stranger Things. And 
<laughs> he had to sell it. Is it Primal Urge plus whatever it was? Like Pete will know off the top of his head. And the gems, oh, I don't know. Consultation from Subgem. Yeah, yeah, roll that. Okay, so we're in. We're in the Umbra. Brilliant. Now, we've all got our own ideas. I've been playing a lot of Werewolf, what that means. Gem had different ideas. It's all kind of grey. Okay. Any feature at all? No, it's all kind of grey. And I'm speeding this up for you, listeners, because there was normally about 30 seconds to a minute gap between each of these questions. It's like, well, can we see a trail? Can we do a mystical trail? Can we make this role to do this thing? We've, we've kind of found some thread to follow. And we followed it a bit. What do we see? It's all kind of grey. What do you want to do? We're, we're going to keep following this trail until there's something else to do because there are no other options. Like, what what are you waiting for from us as players? Because I literally have no idea. I, and we, we sort of more or less said this out loud in various different ways. We wrote notes. We said it verbally. We had to have breakouts. The whole game was just... Gem, speak back to us. Tell us what we can see. You're the window into the world for your players. So if they seem to be struggling, maybe you need to ask them, like, what what is it you're struggling with? And they might say, oh, sorry, about five minutes ago I asked to go to the basketball court uh, and I, I'm not sure what's happening now because apparently this guy's flown to France in the meantime and I don't know, like, help. But yeah, check in with the players and make sure you're giving them, because even if you think you're giving good information and good replies, what you're saying might not be landing. And that might be partly their fault because they're not paying attention or whatever, but please do check. And GMs, like, when players say, I do this, tell them the consequence of that action. Because if you don't, they're blind and they'll still be waiting for that consequence even after you've been all the way around the table again. They'll still be waiting for an answer. Otherwise, they can't contribute anymore. And you're stopping your players from contributing to the game, which is, as we discussed, is what we want. Because you're, you're right, guys. You've just, you've just stopped that person playing. You've just put them on in stasis. And then the only the only option that player has, and I've been that player, is to then go, oh, well, okay, obviously I'm not going to get to the basketball court. So you then ask for something else from the GM. And it's at that point, GM goes, oh, hang on a minute, you're on your way to the basketball court. So, oh, now, now I'm going, <laughs> am I? Okay. Weird. Weird. <laughs> the other one I've had is, of course, is that as GMs, you have to make sure everybody has a go. I've been in a Call of Cthulhu game where I've tried to get the knife off the table and someone else has been upstairs beaten someone up, got downstairs, got in the garage, broken in, got on a motorbike, and he's riding back to Arkham. And I'm in slow motion through syrup trying to get this knife off a table still. And then it's like, okay, you do that. Next player. It's like, really? Really? Like, these three guys over here have had seven goals each, and I've just about managed to pick a knife up. Come on, James. Do better. Move that spotlight. That's in the realm of best practice, isn't it? Mm. Move that spotlight around. But it all comes, it all stems from conversation. It's a word I've used a lot today. It's that the, the whole premise of role-playing game just seems to have been forgotten or ignored or sidetracked in some way. The whole premise from, from Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson onwards has been the unique selling point of role-playing games is it's not just a board game. It's not You're not playing Ludo. There's no board. You've got a GM who's got um, the power of speech usually and you're all having this backwards and forwards, player, GM, player, GM, lots of player, player, player. It's all done with conversation, whether you do that via email or play by post, or most often you're sitting around the table or staring into your screen. This is all conversational skills. And if you've got any issues with your conversational skills, they will be magnified, amplified in a role-playing session because every word counts. And it is bonkers. It is bonkers to me how often I need to remind myself of what a role-playing game is 
and sometimes reading Vincent Baker or John Harper textbooks will help me with that role playing as a conversation to do it and do it play to find out you know these are things that have been dismissed by some grognards as like stupid things to have to say out loud they're not stupid things they're not stupid things at all and they apply to your RuneQuest game and your Traveller game and your D&D game but it's so often the case that enough that we've had to get quite ranty today that I see either myself or other people unable or unwilling in some cases to do the stuff that the hobby is built on and it's absolutely built on the ability to communicate with other people to transfer information across an imaginary space you can have as many minis as you like and props and handouts and crafted stuff but the game still comes down to gm describes something says what do you do player says well let's let's uh, do i need more information or can i make a decision now or i, I do this and then when the player says do this the gm comes back with that and then this happens that's it but the amount of times that's been derailed by all of the behaviors we've discussed so far today and at its base poor games or non-games or games you wish had never devoted four hours of your life to come back to that ability to communicate at one level or another and if that's not you fine what you're doing in this hobby because if you if you can't have a go at this stuff you are welcome you are accepted you you, you we will make you comfortable but if you can't do it do something else yeah there's a there's a oh, i'm not I might have a second podcast the way we're going because i'm remembering more and more war stories of things i've seen stuff that's happened so i guess another thing that i've got on my mental list that's rapidly filling up as i, I recall different situations it's just like it's the general like common sense and being nice to other people and just being reasonable like there seems to be actions people want to take that will just stick to the, the you mentioned before that my character wouldn't do that mm. and there's a certain amount of leeway with that there are certain things when you're in a game and you think well do you know what I'm a I'm a good upstanding knight playing Pendragon and someone's asked me to like sneak into the the Lord's chambers to look through his stuff well that's very unlikely what I'm going to do is send my squire and I'm not going to do it whatever it might be. So there are times when you do say, well, my character wouldn't do that, so what I would do it. And indeed, part of the Pendragon game is you're presented with situations that will be easy to solve in D&D, but you can't because there's a social construct around that your knight can't do that, so you've got to think of other ways around it. And there's a kind of a nod and a wink beyond the fourth wall to kind of say, like, well, we all know the Lords are actually a baddie. How are we going to solve it without just going up and confronting him because we can't do that? So we have to think of other ways around it. That's the fun of the game. There you are, I've explained it. Pendragon to everybody. But there's other times when people just refuse to do something, even basic stuff, by saying, my character wouldn't do that. Well, why? Why wouldn't you? Why aren't you accepting the premise? Why isn't your cowardly businessman or whatever it is in the game staying in the APC and not running out and trying to do something? And you don't have to fight the mercenaries who come to ambush you, but you could be distracting them. You could be bolstering a friend. You could be assisting someone else's action. You could be looking for weak spots. You could be trying to call in reinforcements. There's like a million things you can do don't take yourself out of the situation and just say, well, I wouldn't do it. Think of what you could do. And it might not be what everybody else is doing. It might not be having the fight. It might be trying to look for an exit. Or it might be something completely different. You might be preparing for something else. Or trying to help someone out. Or getting the med kit ready. Or like just describe something, even if it's not a road dice roll at the table. But saying, I, won't, I can't do that as a blocker to the game, is just poor behaviour. So you might not do what everybody else is doing, but think what you can do which will at least provide a narrative element. And don't refuse to accept the premise of 
the old man in the pub tells you to go and get the kidnapped victim. You say, well, I don't care about them. And my character's a, a lone wolf sniper. And he, he doesn't help other people, so I wouldn't go on the mission and help them. Like, just, you've all signed up for a game with a certain premise, play into it, and within the realms of the certain things and behaviours your character might do, depending on alignment or whatever, don't use it as a reason not to do anything. This is so prevalent. And in convention games, of course, we, you know, it's a sticky situation. You've got strangers. You're in an unusual environment. There's loads of reasons why you can why you can get stuff wrong in games. And most of the time, that's not fatal at all. That's fine. Okay, that's just called convention gaming. And it's glorious when it goes right. And, and every convention I've been to this year, I've had a wonderful time. And I'm not speaking in any way about any of the games that I have personally played in the last few games at all. But these are these are practices that that just come down to not joining in, just not joining in with the game as advertised. Uh, on a playground, if you join in with Hopscotch and you decide you're going to play British Bulldog instead, the other kids are going to go, what? And they're not going to want to play with you anymore. We, we still persist with this kind of attitude as adults sometimes, and it just defies belief. But there's so much of it. These aren't outliers, I'm afraid. It happens on a regular, regular basis. So convention gaming can be can be tricky, and these practices will be fatal to convention gaming. In your home group, do you like? <laughs> There's no problem. Friendship trumps everything, okay? I've got a mate who regularly cheats. Regularly cheats. We all know it. He knows it. I know it. We've never spoken to each other about it. But my goodness me, I've never seen a man scoop up a dice so quickly and then try and tell me what the number on it was. Does it all the time. It's, it's, it's actually not a problem. It's not a problem at all because I've decided it's not a problem and he's decided it's not a problem and we're both aware of what's going on. It's an unspoken thing. It's fine. But if you pulled that shit at a convention was a stranger to me, that would be a negative play experience that would have to be called out by someone. And I guarantee you the other players aren't going to do it. They're all going to look to like Mr. GM over there or Mrs. GM and say, well, you know, it's kind of your game. Like, surely you have to have the awkward conversation. Cheers. You know, there's stuff that uh, there's stuff that happens at home which you should not bring into public <laughs> play spaces. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's probably worth noting to some people, if you keep going to your game and think it's fine and you deliberately try and undermine everything all the time, you might find that your mates are just like not saying anything because you're your mates, but actually they find yeah. it really irritating <laughs> that you turn up every week and try and spoil it. Like, so maybe don't. Like, you may mm -hmm. think you're being funny or controversial or whatever because it's like you're probably bending the bonds of friendship because people are putting up with your shit when they shouldn't have to. So have a think. Yeah. Have a think, people. Is this the hobby for you? Now, if you're one of our listeners, this is absolutely the hobby for you because you're already doing above and beyond just, you know, buying a starter set and mucking about with it with mates. So, you know, please, if anyone's taken offence at anything I've said, uh, DM me. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Let's get a conversation going. I hope I haven't, I haven't meant to offend anybody. Uh, my suggestion all the way through this, and I think Gaz is too, is that there are there is problematic behaviour that is more apparent at convention gaming than would be in your own home for obvious reasons. It's no fault of the convention organiser or the structures or anything else like that at all. But we, there are people who are who are denying themselves the opportunity to have more fun in their lives, and I would wish them well for them making wise decisions about how they spend their recreational time. But some of those decisions are unwise. And, and a great many of them affect my fun. And I'd like that to not be true anymore, please. So if you have been offended by anything you've heard in this podcast, message me. Let's talk. 
Yeah, I, I hardly agree, and we'll echo Ben's sentiments. If anything I said is offending anybody, DDM Ben and let him know. <laughs> well, at least they'll get a response from me. Come to my basketball court. There are many of us. <laughs> that is true. And and a lot of this comes down to, like you said, the social contract, just communication. And I think how we can make things better, because obviously this doesn't apply to our, our listeners and definitely doesn't apply to our patrons. They're even better. Oh, glorious people. But... What we've got to bear in mind is that thing that you mentioned there, which I still think is an old school behaviour that I that chafes on me, is that everybody relies on the GM to sort things out. So how you can make yourself a better player is to, to alleviate some of that. And it might be helping schedule the game. It might be bringing some spare dice or pencils for the idiots who always forget. It, it can just be when there's an awkward situation, you like don't feel like you can't say anything because the GM, if someone's been a dick, feels like maybe don't just say those words, but you can say... What what are you trying to achieve there? Why are you doing that? Aren't we all trying to do this? Or you know you can approach the problem. You don't have to wait for the GM to sort it out. And everybody else looks at their fingernails. Like do contribute as players in all manners. Like the the GMs are the players are so frequently. But we are all grown ups generally speaking at these games. Sometimes you get younger people, but most of the time it's it's people of a similar age who play. Talk to each other and don't rely on the GM to be the social. Uh, magistrate of the game so only he can tell someone if they've been a problem that they've been a problem you can just have a conversation with someone and don't you don't have to start out from a hostile place you can you can do it constructively always like well, why have you come to that conclusion or are we not trying to do this didn't you know the guy at the thing say we should do that and if they've got a reasonable answer then okay you've, you've just headed off a problem if they haven't got a reasonable answer you can kind of say well that doesn't sound very reasonable oh, oh, do you not want to contribute are we not all trying to do this if they're persisting in being hard work, then other players should back you up, the GM should back you up, but don't just leave it to the GM. If you spot poor behaviours, and there's differences in style, there's things like that, but if it's actually genuine, just poor behaviours, feel free to call it out and do it in a non-confrontational way, but that's the way we stop it. You can't just rely on GMs all the time. Everyone's got to call this stuff out when they see it. And it ain't going to fix itself. We can only fix games, we can't fix players. <laughs> I'm glad we've got all that off our chest. That's probably a part one. We'll see. <laughs> see some of the part one of many. Some of the backlash is like, or the support, or the groundswell. Tell us your war stories. Tell us the things you've seen that we've not mentioned that you just see all the time that you perhaps want us to broadcast to the world and say, look, players, gems, play people in general, stop doing this, will you? Or this is a better way to approach it. If you've got some idea for good techniques or things that have helped games or improved situations, feel free to let us know. You can still find me on what was once Twitter and on Blue Sky. And straight for our Patreon, you can always post there as well. We don't even have to be a Patreon to look at some of our stuff, but we keep the best stuff for the people who are the glorious ones. Everybody's equal, just our patrons are more equal than others. Mm -hmm. So, uh, thanks very much for listening, Ron. We're interested to hear your thoughts. If you want to see some games in action, please do head over to YouTube and look at the Inconventional GMs channel, where myself, uh, a part-time stunt baz, Guy Milner, he runs the Burn After Running blog. He's on there as well. Ben's run some Star Forge for us. We do lots of different one-shots and try to run games with pace, spin, vigor, and all the players get on and are nice. So if you want some good examples of good play, please visit Unconventional GMs. Until next time, dear listeners, bye-bye. See you soon.